This podcast is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness. Did the 1980s first reveal the secrets of the stunt performer? Pad up and let's find out. Once again, it's time for the idiots. An objective defense of the 80s. From a couple of idiots. Welcome back to another episode of The Idiots, an objective defense of 1980s pop culture from a couple of idiots. My name is Will, and joining me as always is my friend and co-host, Ray. Top of the morning to you. You know, I, I feel like I, I, I'm a little concerned that I, the way I say that every time, it sounds like it could be just me recording kind of like the yups I, I dub in for you <laughs> every now and then. Yeah, I do enough of those as it is. Hmm. Um, I don't think it sounds the same every time. Hmm. Okay. Well, it's just an intro, right? So whatever. Okay. So today is an exciting day. We're going to be speaking to stuntman Eric Linden about stunts in the 1980s in action films and television shows as they compare to today. Right? Yep. And that'll be, <laughs> that was really him <laughs> that time. Okay. But before all that, let's get caught up on 80s news. Okay. So a few bits of 80s news before we get to our main topic, which is talking about stunts in the, in the 1980s and, and things related uh, a few bits of 80 news that we wanted to touch base on with you. Number one, the most exciting thing I think that happened this week uh, was the debut of the Ghostbusters Afterlife trailer. Have you seen it? Yes, I have seen it, and I'm surprised that didn't break the internet when it came out because everybody's talking about it. Yeah, right. And so what do you think? I know you've been, you've been cautiously uh, optimistic I'm, all this while. I'm back and forth on this one. Okay. Because it looks like it's going to be a kid's movie. Hmm. Because the kids are the main stars of it, not the adults this time. So I think you're going to lose a little bit of the adult flavor that was in Ghostbusters that way. So, but would you say a show like, uh, I'm trying to think of, there's other movies from the 80s that followed kids that were not necessarily kids' movies. Well, what would you say Stranger Things, which is not from the 80s, but 80s themed, um, set in the 80s? Well, it was kids. Well, it would be as if Stranger Things started off following the adults around and then made a sequel. Where it was now a kids' movie, and they followed the kids around. But would so the, I, I'm not saying it looks like a bad movie. It looks exciting, yeah. like it's going to be great. But it does have that Stranger Things kind of vibe to it. Yeah, and mostly, I think a lot of that has to do with the the actor, that wolf. Yeah, that's true. It's getting to a point now because he's uh, he's done that. He's done it, which you know mm-hmm. we associate with the '80s, and and actually he plays a character in the '80s in the in the reboot, recent yep. reboot. In this, that you can't help but associate him with '80s. Yeah, he's getting a bad pigeonhole now. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, my only problem is, is it's not going to be adult like the first movie was. And my other problem is, is these were scientists in the first movie mm-hmm. who used these weapons, and now little kids have figured out how to just use I see. the equipment. So Yeah. Hmm. Well, I guess we don't know how they'll handle it. We do know that it certainly seems that she, the, the, the children in it are the grandchildren of Egon Spangler, played by the late Harold Ramis. Yes, and we know Paul Rudd's in it. Right, and he and, seems to know a little bit about... Yeah, and he looks like he's going to be the comic relief of the movie, which is perfectly fine with me, because he's good at it. Yeah. So that they're the grandchildren of Egon, yeah, that shouldn't necessarily make them geniuses like he does. It looks like the no. girl's clever. Yes. But they don't recognize what this ghost stuff is, you know, that she, that she finds. Yeah, I think the trailer, though, that's going to really break the internet is going to be when Bill and Dan show up in a trailer. Hmm. And you think they'll show them in a trailer and not hold it back for the film? I think the final trailer will probably show them. Yeah. 
And if they really want to destroy the internet and burn it to the ground, put Rick in one of these things. I don't, yeah. Rick Moranis. I, I, even if, it, if it's a trick and he's not <laughs> even in the movie. He's just computer generated. Your computer would just start melting from oh the people. Oh my goodness. It would be the greatest secret ever kept if yeah. he was somehow in this. But I've, I've given up my hope that he'll be in it. I, I still think he's in it. I mean, that would be amazing. But I'm very hopeful. Um, I did hear some people characterize it as, you know, that it has comedy, but it seems like it has the potential for some horror elements, too, mm-hmm. which would be great. I know you'd want it to lean somewhat on being scary. Um, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Well, I'm hopeful. Fingers crossed. Okay. So the other trailer that came out was uh, in its 80s themed here, right? In 80s mm-hmm. news. Wonder Woman, the, next, the sequel to Wonder Woman, is, is called Wonder Woman 1984. And if you've seen this trailer, you're just itching to say something. If you've seen the trailer, I mean, they did a good, they've done a good job as certainly setting in the 1980s. I mean, had that, I don't think I felt this way at the time I was in, living in the 80s, but looking on these things, I think, yeah, I guess that captures the vibe of the 80s. I didn't get the same vibe as you. No? No, but I still haven't seen the first Wonder Woman movie all oh, the way through. didn't care for it? Uh, I like the TV show mm-hmm. from the 80s. Sure. I, I like that one. So this one's just kind of like, eh. I'm just not into it. Oh, I loved the first one. Uh, I'll get around to it when I get done watching some of these other lousy movies I'm oh, watching. Well, Wonder Woman's a good one. And actually, it's among the best DC superhero movies they've made. You know, they've had a few eh, mm-hmm. so-so ones and some that are just straight out terrible. But speaking of the, the TV show that we grew up with, you know, with Linda Carter as, as Wonder Woman and uh, Diana Prince, you'll see in this trailer, Steve Trevor's back. Now, since you didn't make it through the whole movie, I will tell you, yeah, no you've idea. had your time. <laughs> you've had time to find out. Steve Trevor dies in the movie. He sacrifices himself, much in the way that Captain America did in the Captain America movie. He's in a plane. He's good, he has to make a certain, you know, he has to, he's flying the bomb away from uh, the civilization kind of thing. And he gets sucked into outer space, and then Mary Poppins' his way back oh, into no. his jet fighter. I don't, you know, I don't have a problem with the Mary Poppins thing in, in the Star Wars movie. That's the least of my uh, problems not, with I wasn't that. talking about that. I was talking okay. about Wonder oh, oh, Woman. Oh, yeah, or, or Mary Poppins in, uh, in or, Guardians of yeah, the Galaxy, yeah. too. Um, no, I, we don't know. It looks like he dies. But somehow, yeah. Chris Pine is back, and it seems like he's playing Steve Trevor, at least in the trailer. It suggests he's playing the same character. There's, there's mm-hmm. things they do that are consistent with his character in the first film. If you remember in the TV show, what's his name? Now, it's terrible. Robert, uh, Richard, um, oh boy. I'm going to have to look it up and, and magically insert it into the podcast. <laughs> Uh, Robert Wagner. Not Robert Wagner. No, Robert what Wagner. are you doing over there? Anyways, the character. The guy who played Steve Trevor in the TV show, he was on the Carol Burnett, Burnett show often. Uh-huh. Uh, you remember this guy. He did a lot of comedic stuff. But in any case, he played Steve Trevor on the show. And the way they did it on the Wonder Woman TV show, they had the first season was set during World War II. Do you remember Correct. this? Correct, yeah. And the second season was sent at the contemporary time, which was the late 70s. I think 78. And it was... How could this actor or this character that looks exactly the same as the Steve Trevor from a year ago looks the same, you know, what would, would have been uh, 30 years later? Do you remember how they did it? On the TV show? Yeah, on the TV show. I do not remember. I thought it was, I, I thought they gave him a different name in the second part. I think he was like supposed to be the grandson or great-grandson yeah, of that's Steve Trevor. Yeah. And it was just like, wow, you just happen to look just like him and they gave you the same name. So fantastic. Moving on. Yeah. Which was fine. I think it worked fine for the TV show, so this... This will be fine, too, I guess. Yeah, I don't remember as a kid being bugged by it. No. I don't think we really cared. (laughs) Or noticed. Yeah, we were just watching the show. It's like, why aren't they wearing those old uniforms anymore? (laughs) And not fighting that Hitler guy. (laughs) Guess that's not a problem anymore? No. Okay, so that's that. I look forward to seeing it. You'll see the first one, hopefully. Yeah, (laughs) I'll get caught up so I can watch the second one. All right, very good. So I know there's, related to our discussion today, later with Eric Linden, about uh, stunts in films in the 80s and today... 
There were two bits of 80s news uh, that involved stuntmen this week, and this is pretty miraculous. Do you want to tell us about those? Yeah, the first one, uh, George Lucas cut the best lightsaber fight from the Star Wars prequels. All right. Reckons the stunt coordinator. Very good. Who who was the stunt coordinator on the prequels? Wasn't that, uh, well, no, the fight coordinator, Uh, I think, was uh, Nick, uh, was it Nick uh, Nick Gallard? Gallard, yeah. Oh really? Okay. Yep. Yeah, he did. Uh, he was responsible for um, choreographing the fights, and he used mm-hmm. a combination of different sword fighting and martial arts techniques that gave it a very unique style to the Jedi's and and uh, also Darth Maul. Yeah, he said it was going to be in Revenge of the Sith, the moment when uh, Obi Wan is confronted with six of General Grievous's bodyguard droids. Hmm. It was supposed to be an epic throwdown. I don't remember him fighting all the bodyguards. I remember him fighting oh. Grievous. Well, you know why. Because he does some force stuff and drops a giant piece of metal on him <laughs> and just crushes I them. I see. That's the part that was cut was the fight. And then, the, and then George Lucas apologized to him and said, we're just short on money and time, so I had to cut something. Mm-hmm. And your epic lightsaber battle is what's getting cut. You know, so this ties into, interestingly enough, this ties into our oh, discussion yeah. last week. So now, you look, again, I have a love for George Lucas mm-hmm. that is apart from his making specific films, right? Mm-hmm. An appreciation for him. Yeah. I do not admire what he did with the prequels. Now, you were defending him last time. What do you feel about learning that he cut something that seems like it would have been a cool, cooler sequence than people getting a ceiling dropped on it, them or He whatever? compared it to the Indiana Jones scene where he just pulls I the see. gun out and shoots him. So, obviously, he had an idea and a concept for it. Right. Obviously, it worked because that was right. an epic uh, crush the enemy scene. Yeah. That was a great moment in Indiana Jones. And if you remember, the reason why they did that is because Harrison Ford was sick. Yep. And he couldn't stand out in the heat for much longer, so. I think he just did that himself, too. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's right. He came mm-hmm. up with that on his own. Yep, he said, I'm really sick, and I am the greatest thing about this Star is, Wars, yep. and I'm going to shoot you and get the hell out of here this and take a This is what nap. I'm doing. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Um, it's a shame we didn't get to see that scene, but. Mm, I'm sure eventually it'll leak, unless George well, yeah, hit it All that stuff's somewhere. on lockdown. Yeah, it's on when he dies, man, there's going to be stuff coming out of the woodwork. I don't know. Uh, you know, if you see that, oh, yeah. if you watch that documentary, The People versus George Lucas, his response to people asking for for Lucasfilm to release a digital, digitally cleaned up version of the original trilogy with no spe- no no additional things added, he said, "Oh, it doesn't exist anymore." <laughs> yeah, he claims, but <laughs> but somehow they scanned it to make it digital yeah. to change it. Right. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, mm-hmm. you have another bit of yes, eighties slash stuntman um, news. The eighties. Well, he started in the eighties. Eddie Braun. Okay. Famous for being the guy who jumped Snake River Canyon because his hero was Evil Knievel. And Evil Knievel wasn't able he to He was it. not successful in his jump of the canyon. But this guy did it. I don't. I remember seeing it on TV, and he used like a rocket machine or something to do this thing. <laughs> but still. I don't know if I'm getting that mixed up with Fonzie jumping over something. <laughs> over with the a, shark? <laughs> no, he also did a dirt, a dirt bike. He did a lot of yes. fun stunts on that show, too. But uh, this guy grew up in this place out in California, I'm pretty sure. And there's this local car wash that had this sign that said whale of a wash. Mm-hmm. And the original owners took it down. And he said, hey, don't destroy that. I'll buy it off you. So he had it in his garage for a long time. So when he saw someone else bought the car wash, he gave it to them. Oh, okay. And, had, and he said the condition was is you got to put it back up. And they were more than happy to do that. No kidding. So this world-famous stunt guy mm-hmm. had this whale of a wash sign in his garage for like three or four years while he's out, you know, doing stunts for Chuck Norris and, right. and everybody he, else. And he said he's still doing stunts today, even. Uh, yeah, I just noticed he was on several. Like, he was up, Entourage was one of them I noticed, but he did a lot of the Dukes of Hazard, The Fall Guy, all those TV shows. Wow. So he's been around a long time. So A lot of our favorites. Yeah. So he's our uh, 
I guess he's our patient zero for what we know about Stuntman. Well, maybe. We could talk about this in a moment. I want to talk about it more with with Eric Linden when we get him on the line as well. But um, yes, one of the early folks that we were aware of, I suppose, that did stunts, that, that kept our favorite actors from being injured. Yeah, and we didn't even know it at the time. Well, again, I want to talk about this. Mm-hmm. But for now, we could say that's 80s news, I guess. Yep. Dun, 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 dun. Ack. Okay, so today, a little bit later, today we're going to be speaking with Eric Linden, Hollywood stuntman extraordinaire, about stunts in the 1980s and, you know, through today. And maybe even before that, because stunts and movies have been, you know, been going back for a long time. Yes, they have. Hey, when you were a kid, you ever doing any stunts <laughs> at home? This is what this is going to be like. Yeah. This is what I want to do. You're hilarious. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say something first. All right, go ahead. Because I'm not so worried about it anymore. (laughs) You know, in in researching stunts, you know, I was reminded of how some of the early silent film artists were considered stuntmen and even maybe, you know, considered stuntmen primarily in actors, you know, know, sort of secondary because a lot of the pratfalls and stuff they would do was just um, like Buster Keaton. If you've ever watched some of the things he did, I mean, truly legendary stunts, but also hilarious. Yeah, some of those guys were just insane. They, they would do some crazy stuff. So I do wonder, and I don't know that Eric would be able to speak of this, how much... I'm sure they took precautions then, because, you know, it's, I think it's easy for us to think of stuntmen as wild and crazy and, you know, willing to sort of risk their lives, but I think in the end of the day, they do want to go home to their loved ones. They want to get a, a paycheck. They don't want to have broken bones, so they probably took a lot more safety precautions than we would imagine. I would disagree because Charlie Chaplin and all those guys were doing it at a time when they would actually go to work and make a nickel, or they could be a stuntman and make a good living. Oh, I see. So you want me to run across a beam, a skyscraper? Well, these guys are up here eating lunch on these things for a nickel a day, so... Oh, I see. Heck, I'll do it for what you're paying me. Maybe, but I I would imagine they took precautions, even, you know, in these films, like uh, oh, Harold Lloyd comes to mind, another well, guy who did some really maybe, amazing stunts back maybe in those days. Eric the Stuntman can tell us. Because he probably knows more about it than we do. Yeah, he may, he may, he may not know. But in any case, um, your question about, yeah, I, I did. I wanted to be a stuntman when I was a kid. I don't remember when I first understood that were, there were stuntmen. I have a couple theories. Mm-hmm. And one of them is, I think, even predates the fall guy. I think in the 1980s, and this confirmed by a little bit of research, the idea of a behind-the-scenes video, which we call them now, used to be called making of, you know, uh, the yes. making of. The earliest one I could find, um, certainly within our generation, and maybe even, I don't want to say all time, I'm sure they made film crews filmed behind the scenes stuff but there was a making of star wars that uh it came out like four months after the film uh, premiered so in 77 i don't remember that one so much i kind of remember probably seeing it later uh, c3po mm-hmm. and r2d2 um are sort of the presenters and tell the story so i kind of remember that but what i remember more than anything is the making of raiders of the lost ark which ah. was a made for tv documentary and i remember them talking about terry leonard uh, doing the truck uh, gag, you know, where he falls underneath the truck. He climbs, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. That amazing, everybody knows what that scene is. It's iconic. And, and Vic Armstrong and all these guys. That may be the first time I came aware of it because I was 81. I think Fall Guy started around that same time. Yeah, I, think they're, I think they're 1980, 81 is Fall Guy. But you also have Dukes of Hazard, right. All those epic TV shows, uh, the A-Team. But, when, but you know what's interesting? That I wonder if the fact that Raiders documentary came out in 81... And on TV, mm-hmm. and Fall Guy came in, and he went, maybe not a coincidence, because finally that veil is sort of lifted, and, you know, they're making, uh, you know, they're, they're showing these other hardworking, you know, talented actors, you know, stunt performers. Yeah, I would say for me, the Fall Guy is my first impression of actors who aren't actually doing their own stunts, because as far as I was concerned, Bo Duke was in that car. Yeah. <laughs> right. And from what I, because I follow him on uh, 
YouTube. He's got his own, John Schneider has his own channel now. Okay. And he talks about that as his, um, they never let him jump that car once on that entire run of that show. Of course not. Did he not seem once? Did he seem frustrated by this? He was because he likes cars and jumping them. Uh-huh. And they just made that new movie, Christmas Cars. I don't know that he's in that. Yeah, he plays. Oh, he, he and like, Tom Mopatter. He's that like Bo Duke. No, he's like Bo Duke. He's the same character, but they gave it a different name to stay out okay. of trouble. And he has like the General Lee in that movie. Mm-hmm. So he jumps the river in the car for the first time. In this new movie. That's interesting. That just came out, yeah. this film? Yeah, it just came out. Okay. Wow, I didn't know about that. Yeah. But I'm not surprised they wouldn't let him do it. I mean, you know, so much is riding on the fact that he's got to be able to <laughs> survive and not be injured. And the reason they always wear the same color shirts yeah. is so the stuntman only had to have the yellow shirt every time he got into the car. So if you I look see. on a few of the episodes, when Luke's driving, you'll see yeah. them jump, and it's the totally... stuntman still has the wrong shirt on. He's got the yellow one on. Oh, okay. So that now, I guess after they realized that for continuity, then they switched to the one shirt all the time? Well, oh, from the original day, they said, we can only do this with yellow shirt on you and blue shirt on you because the stunt doubles. We're, we're not going to try and buy 800 right. shirts a season, so well, this is what it is. And the other thing I imagine it probably was is that they could reuse stunts. They didn't want to shoot that jumping over the river every time because, you know, that's, that's what... Yeah, they, they went through they a just, lot of cars. They show that shot probably over and over again. But yeah, I was kind of like, huh, stuntmen do that? Yeah. And that's the fall guy is the one that I start realizing. Yeah. You know, because I looked this up today. I was trying to find out, you know, the tractor scene from Footloose. Right. Was Kevin Bacon actually on that tractor or was that a stuntman? Right. Doing all that fancy up and down. And I looked it up and all I could find was is he had five stuntmen for the dance scenes. Yeah. So I assume he probably wasn't even on the tractor. <laughs> he wasn't, uh, yes, capable <laughs> enough to dance and not hurt himself. Yeah. Well, to his, to his, in his defense, the, the dancing in that, in that, that scene in the barn or whatever that is. Yeah, that's not him. That's pretty amazing. The stuff. It's, it's, you know, that would be amazing for anyone to do, certainly an actor, to know that kind of level of dancing. Yeah, he said he was mad and creeped out because there was four guys dressed exactly like him <laughs> on set every day. But am I going to be fired? <laughs> Um, yes, you know, it probably was, so the combination for me, and probably wasn't around 81, being around 10 years old or so, that I then thought, I want to be a stuntman. And what I would do to practice being a stuntman was, you know, when my mother would go grocery shopping, I remember that she'd you know, come home with the paper bags, I would collect them. And if you had a paper bag, especially if it was double bagged, it's pretty rigid. So yeah. I would be able to stack them pretty you know like you know like three high and three mm-hmm. over and make like a wall and uh, then i would practice like throwing myself into the wall you know through the wall of <laughs> paper bags i really wanted to master falling down the stairs i think uh, i got like one man. or two steps in and then it's like after that i was like i think i might break my neck yeah falling down stairs is no fun yeah that, <laughs> you don't say you, the way you say it is not as if you were doing it as a kid to practice <laughs> stunts it wasn't my choice yeah we used to slide down them yeah. You know, on your butt oh, okay. at my grandma's house. But every once in a while you'd catch and you'd go rolling down uh-huh. the stairs. <laughs> that that wasn't fun at that point. You'd catch like one of the tacks from the yeah, carpet or something? you'd catch something on your, your foot or you'd just go over and just tumble down. You're like, yep, all right, yeah. back to the top for another run. Yeah. So. I, rem- I remember I didn't understand, and now we know, you know, these, these men would and women would pad up. You know, they take all these, like we're saying, safety precautions. Maybe, uh, yeah. you know, Harold Lloyd and Buster Keaton didn't take them. But by the 80s, they were taking these, you know, precautions. And like I said, that making of Raiders video, they spent a lot of time, you know, showing that how they make it perfectly safe, as, they, as safe as they can. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't know that. So jumping around and doing pratfalls and stuff as a kid, you just do it. Yeah, we jump our bikes over ramps with no helmets or, you know, safety precautions. You'd land on your face. Yeah. And everybody else would just laugh and somebody else would get up and try and do it. Yeah, where I lived... 
there wasn't too much of an opportunity to do that only because it was in a city. So you kind of confined to a, well, I guess in parking lots, we would try to do some stuff, some stuff on the sidewalks, but then there were other things we did that we just did, but didn't realize we were stuntmen when we did it. Yes. Like my buddy Dave, we would sneak out of his house on the second floor Mm -hmm. and we would step across the windowsills and hold onto the gutter and go (laughs) 10 or 12 feet and then jump from there to the tree. Yeah. And then climb down the tree so we could get out at night. Yeah, <laughs> you were either, you didn't you were didn't know you were going to stunt or parkour. Maybe it was, <laughs> you were a trendsetter either way. Yeah, you're right. Kids did a lot of dumb stuff, yeah. and uh, I guess. But sometimes we did stuff that sounded practical. You had to get from point A to point B. Right. I remember when I was a kid, um, there was this thing they called the suicide. There was a bridge that went over a like not a highway, but it was a you know a road and. Uh, the idea was you would walk, and it was there was a fence, a chain link fence that protected people from being able to fall, you know, fall or jump from the bridge. But what these kids would do is climb on the outside of the fence, and on the outside oh, of the bridge, yeah. you had to get from one side to the other. It's called a suicide, and that was your, you know, that was a rite of passage. Nice for these idiots. Yeah, you didn't do it. Rest in peace. <laughs> no, no, I didn't do it. It reminds me there was a that the candy bar bridge I spoke about. Yeah. Uh, on an earlier episode where we found the candy bar and ate it. I like um, how you just brushed past it. <laughs> well, I already told that story, so I want to get to the next part of the story. Originally, they were building that bridge, and they had um, like two-by-sixes run across it for the workers. Yeah. And we would just ride our bikes right across that thing like it was no big deal. You know, you could see the, the water below you on either side. And yeah. I think my youngest brother, or maybe it was like six years old, we were letting him do it. And the heights didn't bother you or anything No, like no, I'm not afraid yeah. of heights. You remind me, recently, I was at uh, this place. Um, it's kind of like one of these uh, indoor playgrounds, but they're for adults and kids. Climbing things, you know, jumping off things. A lot. I don't know if you've been to this place. I, I don't remember what it's called, but they're like these. Uh, it's almost like they have these uh, more amateur versions of American Ninja Warrior indoors. Oh, yeah. And some of them are exercise programs where you can go for a class, and it's doing like American Ninja type stuff for training to just to get, you know, exercise. Um, but I was there recently, and uh, one of these kinds of places with, with, uh, with my kids, and... There's this thing where you can climb like really high, you know, walk across little platforms and jump from platform to platform, you know, a good 20 feet above the floor. Mm-hmm. You're harnessed in, so in theory, you can't fall. And I thought, I was like trying to get my daughter to do it, who's in tears. Like, I, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to do it. She really tried. She got up there. Yeah. She looked down and said, I can't do this. And I'm like, ha. Huh. I, I didn't, oh, I didn't. <laughs> that sounds terrible. No, no. I wasn't <laughs> like that to her. I was like, honey, of course, then don't do it. You'll, you'll, you know, one day you'll feel brave enough to do it or try it, and then mm. you'll see. But to show her how you don't have to be scared, I did it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I was halfway out, you know, in the middle of these things, and it got so hard. Like, suddenly you're jumping from a platform to a platform. And again, you can't fall, but yeah. you feel like you can. I mean, you will fall. You'll just be on a harness. Well, yeah, you, know? you just bungee jump. You're still going to fall. Yeah. And the problem I ran into was, you know, my uh, nearing 50-year-old uh, joints, mm-hmm. climbing on a rope, and uh, I started getting spasms and cramps. <laughs> I'm like, I think I'm just going to cramp out and just lose my grip and fall from this. Oh, that's so sad. So anything more to say about uh, stunts either you did or stunts in films or 80s? or? Nope. Okay, so in a moment, we'll be right back with our guest stuntman and stunt coordinator, Eric Linden. Once again, it's time for... With more than a hundred credits to his name, our guest today has been appearing on television and in movies for over a decade. But while he has performed in some of the most popular properties of the last several years, including Westworld and Avengers Endgame, 
you may not recognize his face. That's because he's often doubling as the hero or anti-hero of the story. In fact, he helped Frank Castle dole out justice as stunt actor for John Bernthal on Netflix's wildly popular Daredevil and The Punisher series. These days, you may also find him behind the camera as a stunt coordinator or second unit director. Whether you knew it or not, and now you do. His work on screen and off has enhanced your enjoyment as an audience member. Please welcome to the show, Eric Linden. How you doing, Eric? Hey guys, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. So, you know, episode after episode on our show, we look to try to connect the dots, uh, different dots, and from different areas, works of life, beliefs, philosophies, etc., to the 1980s, which is the era in which we grew up. And so I appreciate your time. I think that, uh, you know, because of your expertise and your experience in the field of stunt work, you are a perfect person to help us understand sort of the evolution of stunts and where we are today. I do note of interest is that you worked on two shows that were reboots of properties of the 1980s, both Lethal Weapon and The MacGyver Show. Yep. So so Ray and I were talking earlier about how we first came to know about stunts. In the era we grew up in, you know, you, ha- you didn't have, you know, behind-the-scenes videos like you do everywhere. What, what My research, it found that the earliest uh, making of, which we called it then, was was there was two it was a star wars one in the 70s but in the 80s was the first one i remember seeing it was one for raiders you know when i first learned that we had you know terry leonard doing the truck gag and you know vic armstrong doubling for harrison ford um what it, for you what kicked off your your understanding that we have these f- folks you know, like yourself putting your you know your bodies on the line for these uh, actors yeah um well, you know, it's a it's a funny thing. I'm not sure. First of all, how old are you guys? <laughs> well, I'm 47. And I'm 48. Oh, we sound youthful, though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, <laughs> I was going to say, you're, uh, uh, the, the way you're speaking, it's almost like, yeah, like, uh, that you guys are so old. I mean, I'm, I'm 40 now. Oh, okay. So uh, I grew up in the, 80, the 80s as well. Oh, good. Um, and I, yeah, I got to tell you, I, you know, I watched those shows, MacGyver and, uh, you know, Fall Guy, oh, yes. I think was the first yeah, yeah. I think that that was the first show. I mean, it certainly was where I even understood what the concept of a stuntman was, which my dad had to explain to me. But I would watch that show uh, along with like a team and, um, you know, the greatest American hero yes. where a lot of the stuff where I kind of became aware of stunts. So my dad would help explain like, yeah, like that happened. And that's like the fall guy, right. um, it, you know, cause he wanted to, I was always had a big interest in action just like on my own. And he, you know, I kept wanting to watch increasingly violent films <laughs> and, um, you, you, you know, I would see a commercial for something like Rambo or whatever, would want to watch it. And my dad was like concerned it was too violent. So it was very important for him to explain to me that these things weren't real. Right. Um, and I think, I think the, the, the first making of thing that I ever saw, which really doesn't have a ton to do with stunts. Uh, but if you guys recall, it was, uh, the, the music video yep. for thriller. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, they had this big thing on TV where they, uh, you know, they showed the behind the scenes and I think it went pretty late. So my dad recorded it for me. Um, so I watched the first like 60 seconds of the actual movie video and it's, I, geez, I mean, I might've been what, six years old and sure. it just scared the bejesus. <laughs> out of me. And so, you know, so he stopped it 
and then went forward to the making of and showed me that. Oh, then it became, yeah, it became a lot less scary. And then I rewatched it and it became like my favorite, favorite music video ever. Right. Um, so that was really when I became aware of like how they put movies together. And, um, you know, back then, I mean, I wanted to be a, a, a makeup artist. Like I wanted to do special effects like at, at six and seven years old. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and then I think <laughs> I was always kind of looking for behind the scenes stuff whenever there'd be a little featurette or something like that. But I mean, as you guys know, even when you would buy a videotape and it would cost just $70 or something like insane back in those days, I mean, they didn't have any behind the scenes on there. It wasn't really until DVD or maybe actually I think it was Laserdisc that we would get some, some sort of behind the scenes. So, you know, I would start diving into that um, because if you didn't happen to catch it on TV, well, then you just didn't have any idea anything was going on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had the same, I had a similar experience that I, I, I imposed the process that your wise father did on you for myself where I was scared of horror movies. Ray grew up watching Friday the 13th at age four, I think. Yeah. But I was, ter- I was terrified, so I would get, you know, Fangoria magazine and, you know, learn about how they, you know, do bullet shots and all this stuff, so I wouldn't be scared of it. And so, you know, we didn't have many making ofs like we were talking about here, but you're right, Thriller was one I consumed in the same way you did because I was at a, I think it was a, I'm embarrassed to say almost a seventh grade birthday party. And they're like, we're going to show thriller. And I was terrified. I'm like, I don't, mm-hmm. don't show the fear, you know? Yeah. Cause I liked some 12 year old girl that was there. Absolutely. I mean, then as you got older and started kind of having like sleepovers or whatever, it was a thing to stay up as late as you possibly could. And, uh, you know, at, at eight, nine years old or whatever, and then watch like the scariest movie that you could like handle. Yeah. So like, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I grew up on stuff like a uh, really crappy movie that's like a classic now uh, called Vamp, um, just like way over like a 10 year old yeah. head. But, you know, you're watching it because it was about <laughs> vampires and then there's like Lost Boys and stuff like that. So like right. it became um, I think I like almost became brainwashed by watching this type of stuff like Rambo and Commando and Conan the Barbarian, uh, Lethal Weapon. Like I it made it seem like I wanted to be those guys. And, um, so, you know, you would act that type of stuff out on the playground and, you know, it becoming a job never seemed realistic. It didn't even seem realistic until I was like out of college. (laughs) What, uh, what age were you when you first tried to do a stunt in the backyard or wherever? Oh, geez. I mean, probably, I mean, (laughs) I would say, you know, six, seven years old. It was really funny. You know, <laughs> my dad would, um, I mean, I had like a playground in my backyard. So, you know, about the time you could get on a swing, you were then practicing jumping off of it to like running for, you, <laughs> you know, running for dinner. And, um, yeah. you know, as soon as yeah. I could climb across monkey bars with my hands, you then realize, Hey, what if maybe I can walk across them? <laughs> um, <laughs> just, you know, my parents, I surely would look out and be like, he's going to break his arm anytime. <laughs> um, but I think like my earliest thing that I kind of stunted out on, and I can't remember how old it was, probably six, seven years old, uh, is my dad had a, you know, we had a extra mattress for if like grandma came by or whatever. <laughs> and uh, he would lay this mattress onto the stairs and then we would pile up pillows at the bottom of the stairs. So we would run 
and jump from the top of the <laughs> stairs, you would land on the mattress and kind of like bounce off of it or slide down it or whatever, and then yeah. plop into like a big pile of pillows. So, you know, I would be running with a gun or I would tie my blanket <laughs> around my uh, neck and like I would, tr- you know, I remember taking the blanket and grabbing it into like, a, 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 you know, gathering it into each hand and trying to jump <laughs> and use it like it was a parachute, a parachute like that was going to work. Like, I, and, you know, I just I just kept thinking like I just didn't it didn't open enough, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You meet, which, which means you had to get higher up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, if only the stairs were higher, I would, I would nail this. So at what point do you transition from your interest in makeup artist as a makeup artist into doing stunt? You said you didn't realize that being a stunt person could be a career. When did that start happening? Yeah. You know, the, it's funny because when I look back, like it, I've really been interested in making movies ever since like, you know, thriller. Um, but then, you know, I get, gap of time goes by where I still was doing athletic things and was always watching, you know, on DVD or or VHS, you would get a movie and, you know, you had 10 movies. So, or, or maybe 20 movies and you would just watch those again and again and again. And when you would get to go to the video store to rent a movie, like if, there wasn't anything new that you saw that you wanted, you would get something that you'd already watched and watch it again. So like I was just right. constantly consuming this stuff and um, would watch it for the love of it. Like, you know, watching the scenes and the characters. So I really would dive deep into a, I think something you can only do when you watch things repeatedly. Um, so that was kind of happening all, all the way up until, you know, middle of high school. And, in that time I'd gotten an interest in computer games and, you know, got our first computer and, and, you know, was doing stuff like that, playing star Wars. Uh, so then that transitioned into me wanting to do, uh, computer graphics. And, um, I took a class in high school, uh, with 3d animation. And so then that was like kind of my next section of, not really thinking special effects was possible, but going like, Oh, I want to, I want to make a, movies like toy story so i started learning like computers and getting into that and um about the time i was going to graduate i was really good at like 3d animation um didn't have the best grades in the world but realized uh through a little bit of research that to get into some sort of program where uh doing something like toy story was even possible you needed to be like very good at math and geometry Mm -hmm. because they were plugging these things in manually into the computer. Um, and, and and you had to virtually be a genius with like physics and stuff like that to be able to (laughs) to do any of this. Well, now it just does it for you. Um, you know, you can just really be more of an artist than, than that. Then you need to know how to code and need to like render light and understand which, you know, how it bounced off and all this stuff. So I kind of went a different direction and then went into graphic design. Um, so just still with computers, but completely different direction. Um, but you know, that was like the second generation of my interest in movies and my hope of being part of that like world. Um, so then that died for a little while. Um, graduated college, uh, for graphic design and I started working in a design studio and, you know, I did that for, I think it was like four years and then, um, kind of, kind of had like a quarter life crisis around like <laughs> 24. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, just kind of like started free. 
Yeah, I kind of started freaking out, was worried that like, you know, I wasn't doing what I wanted to do the rest of my life and um, kind of got to the point where it was like, what should I do? And I started looking into film uh, and, and ultimately it bothered me enough that I went and tried uh, uh, some acting classes and some student films. So I went to, I, I, I literally just lied to some people and told a student film down in Cincinnati, Ohio, that uh, they were doing a film festival. And I was like, Hey, do you guys need a stunt man? I was like, I, I'm a stunt man, you know? <laughs> and <laughs> they were like, Oh, you are like, uh, <laughs> send us your, send us your resume. Uh-oh. <laughs> so like I was, I was a gra- Yeah. I was a graphic designer. So like, I didn't send them any single credit, but I sent them this amazing looking resume with my skills and my picture. And I had a website that said like all the stuff I could do. And like, I'd taken pictures of myself and, um, they were like, wow, this is great. Yeah. We'd love to have you. (laughs) I mean, I did it for free, you know, but I went down and was part of like a film festival and, you know, like they broke like a bottle over my head and I, you know, I like, took a punch and had, I was just completely winging it. And, um, then after that, like pretty aggressive, like film festival day, I was like, man, this is awesome. (laughs) And so from there, I just kind of kept plugging away at acquiring different skills and learning more what I need to do to get to the, you know, get to the point that I could make it a reality. And I just figured at any point, if I hit too much of a roadblock, I'd be like, well, at least I tried. And I, it kind of got to the point where I could either quit my job or be able to take a different opportunity uh, to be in a movie as a background actor, like an extra. It's like, like now it's like a complete joke. Like, I can't believe you do this. (laughs) You make it like, you know, $60,000 a year. And I went to like making like, you know, fucking like 70 bucks a day right. doing, <laughs> doing background work. But that's exactly what I did really completely out of my mind. Um, so that, yeah, I, I quit my job and, and went and did this little film in Philadelphia. And, um, that's where I was able to get tapped Hartley, which, um, allows you to get into the screen actors guild. Um, so from that point I was, like, Hey, I can, I can move to LA. Like, cause I can join SAG. Like the hardest part is being able to join SAG. Right. So this is over the course of like a year, year and a half. And, um, so I just kind of like saved up money, kept working and, uh, you know, took some acting classes and boxing classes and tried to gain some skills in Ohio. And then I packed my bags and left. That's amazing. And that's a pretty quick turnaround for a year. Um, you know, a couple of things leap out to me. What, what you're saying, one, you know, the era that you grew up in, and certainly the era that Ray and I grew up in, it was hard to know how to break into the arts, you know, just generally. And I remember for myself, you know, even just wondering about these kinds of things. I wanted to be a writer at one point, and my parents said, we don't know how you do that, you know, or I wanted to be a screenwriter. and said, we don't know how you do that. And it's such a different culture that we live in now, and it's really great, you know, that folks do these videos online, like the Quarter Crew, where you get to see that it's a real job, and here's a way to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's amazing that with, without having that before you, like kids have today, that you were able to carve that out for yourself. I wonder, though, if you're selling yourself short because, you know, you're talking about the, the difficulty of maybe doing design because of the math. I think folks may not appreciate how much, you know, physics and geometry and math go into keeping the stunts that you do safe. Uh, so, so now have you had to find, a, I don't know, a second sort of life wrapping your head around these different types of, 
uh, I don't know, mathematical considerations? Um, you know, I think the, the, to a certain extent, yes. Um, a lot of it is understanding just physics, like what's what's physically capable. And, you know, everybody thinks that you are going to, you know, if the, if the gap is 10 feet, and you're 20 feet up in the air that you are going to jump eight feet and then glide another two feet because you're going to go at a diagonal. And, um, you know, when you start to learn this stuff through physics that, you know, once your momentum stops, you drop like a rock. So there's no, like, <laughs> those are the type of, th like, I've literally been on set. I think it was no less than a month ago. Uh, somebody needed to jump into a pool and I was stunt coordinating it. And they're like, yeah, well, you know, won't she, she'll arc. And I'm like, you're a grown man. <laughs> like, you don't realize <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, like, once inertia stops, gravity takes over and you go straight, you go straight <laughs> down. I'm like, thank God you have, <laughs> you have a stunt coordinator here. <laughs> didn't, didn't we learn that from Wiley Coyote <laughs> yeah, like 50 or 60 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, <laughs> holding a little sign that says help. Yeah. Well, people watch movies and they think, Oh, you know, they'll so, show somebody doing that. Like they're like, well, Captain America, his, <laughs> you know, D cells or whatever. So, there'll be some pretty unbelievable things that you come across, but a lot of figuring out like stuff like the, the physics and like how many times something's going to turn or whatever uh, you've learned through right. doing it and practicing hmm. and uh, you know, doing stuff in the gym and you know um, uh, someone's like, well, yeah, can't you just like flip and land on your feet? And you're like, yeah, well, but not from 10 feet in the air. Like you could <laughs> from six feet maybe, but um, it's bizarre what some people, uh, specifically people that aren't athletic or haven't done much of that stuff, they don't have no concept as to what's possible and what isn't. Uh, but you know, some things are when you're doing like a car crash or something like that, there's a very specific, like the angle of the ramp. And if you're going at this speed, you, you know, the weight of the car into consideration, you're going to make it about this far. Um, nothing's really like, carved out in stone because as soon as you hit that ramp, well, you may hit a gust of wind or something and you don't make it quite as far. Maybe you make right. it a little bit farther. So, um, a lot of it's just experience and seeing stuff happen. Uh, you, you start to gain an understanding of what, what is probably going to happen. Let's put it that way. When you talk about things that are physically possible, uh, I find it interesting or maybe frustrating somewhat, you know, when I see films, mostly more, more contemporary films, I think then, um, this might sound biased, but then films in the 80s, for example, you know, in the 80s, it strikes me as things were more in camera, more practical. You know, I, I love that we can do computer generated things to, you know, enhance and improve things. But I, I, I don't like those t times where I see a character do something that and it was most often it's computer generated. That's just doesn't feel physically possible and not because they have a superpower but because the gravity wasn't calculated correctly or something like that mm -hmm. what, what do you how do you feel as far as the um, i guess our use or reliance on computer generated um stunts i know you've done motion capture work certainly um but how do you feel about um sort of you know uh, i guess using uh, cg to enhance or replace stunt workers yeah i you know i I'm a fan of CG, uh, but you know, I did grow up on all that stuff that was in the eighties where, uh, they just had to do it for real in camera. And I felt like they couldn't 
necessarily tell the full story from a big wide, you know, sweeping oneer. So that they would edit it very specifically, so you're catching like better moments, I guess. So like, there's a lot of stuff that is just much better that they did then, even with less capabilities. Um, I'm always a fan of doing things practically, if at all possible. Um, and you know, some of the stuff like the the sets in Avengers, they were just enhancing things like there was a full set there and it's like really the only thing that was cg was the background or you had like all these real characters and then you'd have a couple of cg monsters um i think that that stuff's always the best like i feel like they do a good job with something like avengers for example but then like spider-man i feel like they do an awful job um that that there's when you watch the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, like the first and second one were so good because they did all that stuff on wires wow. and there was very little CG takeover, but like the newest uh, Spider-Man that just came out, I saw it like on a plane and I was like, man, this is God awful. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it just looked like I'm watching a video game the entire time. And most of the moves that they are doing could have been done with a real human on wires and they may have had to do slightly less or go slightly higher or, you know, something or like cut right. a little bit earlier or later. Um, but it would have made it so much more memorable and worth it to see somebody actually doing it. So why don't they, in those types of instances, and certainly talking about Marvel with, you know, Sony has got a big budget. Why would they make a decision to do all CG instead of having a practical effect? Do you think? Well, you know, I think a lot of it comes from the top and uh, somebody, there's you gotta understand there are people that have made it into uh, these higher throne rooms that aren't actually like super fans of movies. Mm. Um, they they don't like have this undying love for them and for them to be really good. Like they're kind of like a nuts and bolts type of person. And they just are like, oh yeah, that's cool. Like, is it cool? Like, cool. You know, you, you know, they'll they'll look at one frame of CG, and if you pause it and look at it, it looks phenomenal. You're like, wow, that does look that looks really great. And they'll come into the CG studio and they'll take a peek at it, and they're like, oh wow, that looks really good. But then when it's in motion, it looks like crap. Right. And they just can't quite wrap their head around that, mm -hmm. which is uh, it, you would assume that that's their job, but. Oddly enough, it's not. And a, another problem that happens is they will have a, like a CG studio like Weta or, you know, um, Industrial Light Magic. And they're basically on a retainer. So you got some big movie like Spider-Man and you're like, well, we're going to pay Weta, um, you know, $30 million or $40 million. And they are going to handle every bit of CG on this. It's not like per shot they're paying them. They, they, they're like on the run of a movie. I see. Yeah. So they have like X amount of people, just their job is to do the CG for this movie, regardless of what's in it. So, uh, and the more people, you know, the quicker that they can get it done, the more money that they make. Uh, on the wet end of things. So it'll get down to time and budget. So you're like, well, the stuntmen can do it or the or second unit can do it, but it's going to take them this long and it'll take us 
a week to shoot it. But if we do it in CG, you know, basically we can do it, shoot it in two days and then it just goes away into the ether and it comes back and it's done. You know, so it's, it, it, you have to have somebody at the top that's like, no, we're doing this for real. Yeah. And, and that doesn't happen. And, and the movies it does happen on, it's, you can really see the difference. Yeah. You, you know, and I often think about when, with uh, effects and maybe just storytelling generally, but often effects that, uh, was, I think it's a line that Jeff Goldblum's character says in Jurassic Park. It's like, just because you could have doesn't mean you should have, mm-hmm. you know, that we have this ability to make anything look like anything we want, but doesn't necessarily mean we should because it doesn't jive with, you know, as an audience, what feels like, uh, you know, real to us. Um, that that said, and you, you know, you remind me of another thing. You were talking about the folks at the top, maybe necessarily having the love of film, but you know, you, you telling us about your journey um, to becoming to, to working in film. You know, it seems like you, as you pointed out, you loved film making, which again seems like an maybe an underappreciated skill uh, that the layperson has for for stunt people. Because you know, my understanding is the work you do certainly, you know, as a second unit that. Um, not only or a coordinator, you know, when you're choreographing these stunts, you have to have to keep in mind what, uh, what where the camera is going to be and how something might be, you know, uh, framed. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you just sort of, you know, I don't know, you've you've learned through, you know, osmosis, like you said, you just were consuming all the films you could as a young kid, you know, whether it was the same ten or twenty DVDs, or is that something that you you've studied? I mean, how do you get to that point? I, I think the foundation came from me just like studying film. And, uh, it was a bit of the osmosis thing, at least the, the, the foundation of what like feels right. Um, but it, so stuntmen do the, uh, you know, sometimes on the bigger shows, such as like daredevil punisher, like, you know, Avenger movies, stuff like that. Uh, are you guys familiar with the term previs? Yes. Yes. So the, for, for those of us who don't have <laughs> Ray may, yeah. may not know. Okay. Yeah. It's basically just stands for pre-visualization. Um, sometimes it'll be an animatic that they will do in, um, you know, Star Wars. It'll be what the TIE fighters are going to be doing. And it'll be like a wireframe type of thing. Uh, so you can kind of get an idea what the final product would be. And, um, but when it comes down to the action guys, uh, they will previs an entire fight scene. So, you know, it's like Punisher versus Daredevil, and it's on a rooftop. So they send me as the Punisher stunt double, and uh, Chris is the, the the Daredevil stunt double. We go up to a root, rooftop with the stunt coordinator, and he will shoot the entire scene. And we're like standing around in our sweatpants, and mm-hmm. um, but they've given us access to a rooftop in New York, and they he literally shoots the entire thing. We edit it in. We do some rudimentary uh, visual effects in it. We put sound in there. Um, sometimes ramp speed ramping and stuff like that. Like they're very complex things that get done in a matter of days. Like so, being a stuntman now, or or at least a high end stuntman or a high end stunt coordinator. Not only do you need to be able to choreograph the fight, you need to be able to choreograph that fight and make sense of the story. Because if you're not driving the story forward, it's just a bunch of kicks and punches. Right. And um, the audience, the audience may not necessarily dissect that, but they know it like subliminally. Right. So that that's something you have to be aware of as well. You need to be able to operate a camera 
you also need to be savvy with a computer because you're then going to need to be able to edit that footage. And then you need to be able to lay sound and stuff in as well. Right. So it's almost like we're directing the scene ahead of time. Um, so then we put the stuff together and we show it to the director and the producers and say, Hey, this is, this is what we have. And, uh, they will use that as like a roadmap as to possibly how to shoot it. They may, they may shoot it very much like it. It, it, They may decide to go a different direction. And then sometimes they use that just simply to look at the choreography and decide, Oh, you know what? This is taking too long. Um, I don't need him to beat up nine people. He can beat up five. Um, and you know, you'll make changes based off that and it will save them time when they get to actually shooting it. Right. And that time turns into money. So they're able to stay within budget as well. I would imagine. Yeah, that's correct. Like sometimes you're spending the money up front to make things go faster on the day. You know, and and again, like, you know, you were talking about earlier about, um, uh, CG and sort of what takes us out of the, the movie. The fact that you do all this previs and do it, you know, practically, it reminds me of the fact that another thing that I have the issue I take with CG is that oftentimes the camera movements are camera movements that can't be made. You know, a truck couldn't do it. A person couldn't do it. A computer could do it. So, you know, it sort of makes it, uh, again, takes you out of that real moment. And it does seem like as an audience member, we need to feel like the characters are really in danger. They're really being injured. You know, I mean, it's somewhat animalistic mm-hmm. somewhat, but, um, um, we need to feel that peril, you know, and, um, and certainly the work that you've done and like you're talking about with this previous stuff, I'm sure, you know, lends to that. Speaking of injury, mm-hmm. have you ever been seriously injured to the point where you reconsidered your career path? And wanted to go back to computer graphics or makeup, being a makeup artist? No, no, I haven't. Um, you know, I, I, I think the most, I've actually been fairly lucky as far as uh, injuries go. You're always going to kind of like, come home and you know need a glass of whiskey you know on a rough day uh but the only the only time i've been like actually injured where i couldn't continue uh was i jumped out a window on punisher and it was just a freak accident um I, i i was going into my box catcher which is just similar to like uh similar to like landing pads or whatever but you build boxes in a certain way that it'll uh break your fall well my ankle just happened to hit the wrong spot on a box mm. and it spun my foot around mm. and I broke my ankle. Um, mm. nothing, I didn't do it. I, I did it one. I did it two times before that. So it was the third time it So I was able to perform it correctly. The boxes were built correctly. Like it's just literally just, it was actually Friday the 13th. <laughs> it, 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 just bad. it was, yeah, it's so bizarre. It was just bad luck. Um, and I'd been very lucky for, I think it was 14 years. So nothing had happened up to that point. Um, so that put me out for, you know, two months. Yeah. Uh, but that did that, you know, at that point, maybe if that happened early in my career, I would have reconsidered it. Um, but you know, at this point I'm, you know, I'm so deep. I can't even quit if I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Eric, you make me feel more manly because I broke, Rave gave me a hard time for this years ago. I broke my foot just walking down a flight of stairs. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just hit the last step, step and my foot broke. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I think I've honestly been hurt, uh, more seriously by, uh, you know, tripping doing something stupid or uh you know like waking up and my neck hurts (laughs) (laughs) lifting weight like yeah like lifting weights or training like uh, more than i have uh 
uh, being in danger on set. Well, and it's certainly you're still a young person, you know, and you're 40, 40 is like the new 60. So you're, you've got time, but do you, considering the physical toll that it takes on your body, um, do you have a, again, it's, it's early for you to know maybe, but, um, do you, do you see your path maybe moving more into the filmmaking side and, in you know, or coordinating side and, and taking yourself out, out of, uh, you know, being in camera necessarily and being instead being behind the camera? Yeah. I mean, I, I actually started doing that transition, um, very early on in my career, I was, uh, geez, I'm trying to think what year it was, probably 2009 or something like that. I was had a job doubling Chris O'Donnell on NCIS Los Angeles. Um, okay. It, yeah, it was a very successful job. I had been, I think I was going into season three of that show, and I'd been doubling him since the pilot. So at that point, I was like, wow, you know, like I – and making a living as a stuntman, I knew I, I had, I had some money saved up. I knew I was going to have a job for this full season and it looked like it was going to do season four. I mean, now it's in season 12 or something like that. Like it's, it's incredible, but, um, yeah. I knew the money was going to kind of keep coming in and I felt very comfortable in my position. So back then, I mean, geez, I was like 30 or something like that. I, um, decided I wanted to become a stunt coordinator one day. And due to the fact that I knew I had this job and it was, it was going to be okay. I started contacting, uh, the YouTube personalities and, you know, specifically, uh, there's these guys called rocket jump and, um, you know, corridor digital was part of that, but I first talked to uh, Freddie, Freddie Wong. Right. And I literally just like emailed him and was like, Hey man, like, I think your stuff's fantastic. I was like, here's my resume. Um, I think you guys do a great job. Like your camera work and editing is sick. Uh, everything looks amazing. I was like, your stunts suck. (laughs) 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 Like literally just was like, your stunts are terrible. And I was like, I'm a stunt coordinator or I'm working to be a stunt coordinator. And, um, you know, I've got this type of equipment and I'm happy to come out and, and work with you for free. I'd love to do it. I was like, I, 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 I want to build up my resume of, uh, you know, coordinating these shorts and stuff like that. And I think I can, I can help you guys out. And so he was like, cool, man, come by. That's awesome. So I, I went, I went there and, um, we started working together and, you know, he was already getting a lot of views, but then it just made kind of like the last little bit of quality that they needed on their channel. I, I was able to bring that and, we just started making all these like action shorts on YouTube. And, um, you know, I was able to do it just for fun. And it was, I could get the experience of coordinating. If there was something I wasn't sure what to do, I could phone a friend and it wouldn't be a big deal. Um, you know, we weren't doing humongous stunts. It was mostly, you know, shooting guns, which, didn't even fire real weapons at all because they were putting it in in post. Right. And, you know, we're doing falls and fights and stuff like that and shooting at like a very aggressive speed as well. So it was really like a boot camp in how to become a stunt coordinator. Um, that started making them even more successful than they already were and led them into doing real things, which uh, I think the first thing they did was video game high school. So when they did that, they asked me to be the stunt coordinator and, um, you know, then we were getting paid real money. 
So, but that started building my resume as being a stunt coordinator. I did three seasons of video game high school. Uh, then I did rocket jump the show and dimension 404 for Hulu. So, you know, after, over the course of like four or five years, I'd stunt coordinated, you know, three or four, what, five seasons of, of TV shows that are on legitimate channels. Um, so that built up my initial resume as a stunt coordinator. And then I started doing commercials and other stuff like that and continued to build that resume until I went to daredevil season two, where I became the assistant stunt coordinator. Uh, and I, and I was also the double for Frank castle, but getting that credit on that big Marvel show then allowed me to get other stuff and started to get movies and things like that. So I'm, even though I'm still in the mix and being a stunt man, um, I'm also, I just wrapped a show where I was stunt coordinating it. So me trying to transition out of being the fall down guy <laughs> is well underway. And, um, you know, by the time I'm 50, hopefully I'm not having to do it anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm just being the boss. <laughs> yes. Cause by the time you're 50, there's more of those situations where you wake up and your neck already hurts. Yeah. I, we I, have that and we don't, do anything dangerous. Absolutely. Well, and the thing is, is that like, I'm very healthy and active right now, but I don't want to get to the point where I don't feel like, I I don't feel awesome anymore. So that's why, (laughs) you know, and I just feel like I have the mind to be the boss. Mm -hmm. Um, that's why I've been, you know, I, I just recently, well, it's been about two years. I got into the DGA, which is the, uh, director's guild of America and uh, I got that by second unit directing a movie. So th- that's uh, another transition into, you know, what I'd like to do. I'm not sure you guys are familiar with John Wick, right? Of course. Yep. We, we just, I just recently learned from my daughter that we're going to have a Keanu Reeves day, I think in 2021, where John Wick and Matrix 4 comes out the same day. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. That'll, that'll never happen. <laughs> <laughs> what, I, it's it's yeah. a little suspicious. Yeah, there's nobody, no producer in their right mind yeah. would, would <laughs> I mean, because they both essentially have the same asset, which is Keanu Reeves. Yeah. So, <laughs> what, you, you know, the people that love Keanu they're probably going to go to only one movie that weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so why would you want to split the box office and make it look like both yes. of the films did average or what, you know, why, why would you want to delude one or the other? And Keanu wouldn't want that to happen either. Yeah. Like you would want to spread, spread out the love and the people that love Keanu can focus on one movie. Uh, so that's just a random, uh, coincidence that people decide to make news on, uh, you know, I would certainly bet money on that. That never happened. Yeah. So you were going to say about John wick? Uh, yeah, well the, you know, Chad, the is, was Keanu Reeves stunt double. Uh, he then became the director of John wick. Uh, he, so he oh, was, yes, a stunt, of course. yeah, he was a stunt man. So before he, he was, and he did his stunts on uh, the matrix. That's correct. Yeah. So before he, he you know, before he was directing John wick, a lot of people don't may not realize he's responsible for second unit directing some of the biggest movies that are out there. Um, I, he did the right. he did the hunger games, some of the X-Men films. Uh, you know, he also, um, little known, he was brought in recently. Um, what's the movie that did the trailer just came out? Um, was it, uh, Oh yeah. Birds of prey. Uh, he was, you know, Birds of Prey was essentially looking like crap. 
And uh, they brought Chad Stahelski in to fix all the action that the director had shot. So he, he, you know, you'll never see that in the media. Like you'll go, you can look it up on IMDb. I feel like we shouldn't put it on our show for him. We should put it out of our show. (laughs) (laughs) Like it'll, the thing is, is it's all, it's all, no, it's okay. It's (laughs) it's all there for um, people to view, to to find find out. You can find, look at it on IMDb and read between the lines. But, uh, you know, he went to second unit direct that film essentially to fix it. And, um, you know, he'll obviously being a director of John Wick, and then going back to second unit directing, um, yeah. they had to pay him a ton of money. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were probably like, we, we really need this fixed. Uh, but, in, you know, I would like to, you know, so go in that kind of direction. Right. So I would like the second unit direct stuff and then eventually possibly direct a movie one day. You know, that, that would be amazing because... I don't think it's any secret to folks who do know the story, uh, how we've got our director for John Wick, that they are successful because of him, because, you know, the action is so integrated in the storytelling um, that you need someone with his background, and like yourself, to be able to pull that kind of thing off and make this, you know, fantastic movie with amazing action. And I love how they try to top themselves each film. Uh, the last film was amazing with some of the gags they did. Yeah, yeah. Um, Eric, and, and we're, we're kind of running long on time, so I don't, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I do want to make sure that I thank you for your time today. Um, amazing to talk to you and learn about uh, that side. And my hope is, in the very least, folks get a greater appreciation for what you do. Uh, and the, the folks in your craft do, because even in that last example, there's so much that you uh, provide to us, you know, that allows for the enjoyment uh, of these films uh, and that for which we're grateful. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, it was a pleasure being on here. I appreciate, appreciate you guys reaching out to me and uh, thanks for having me. Wow. It was so great to speak with Eric. And if you want to find out what he is up to, on a moment-by-moment basis, you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Eric Linden. That's E-R-I-C-L-I-N-D-E-N. Like we were talking off the air, that's so often these stunt men and women are the unsung heroes of these films. They're not recognized enough in the public for what their contributions to the great films and television shows we love. Yeah, the, uh, the theme song for The Fall Guy says it all, you know, he's the unknown stunt man. I I forgot that, yeah. yeah. And Lee Major sang that too, yes, right? Yes, he did. Right. Multi-talented. Uh, and so, Ray, what do you think we proved today about the 1980s? Or, or maybe we learned, maybe we disproved something. What do you think? We have proven yep. beyond a shadow of a doubt mm-hmm. that most stuntmen yep. are influenced by 80s action movies <laughs> because of the practical effects used. Okay, sure. That's what I got. We'll talk to you next time on The Idiots. See ya. See ya.